Before I begin, I want to say thank you for being here on this tender Sunday, those of you gathered here, and those of you gathered online. I am Christine Hydes, and I am one of the ministers here at Kenilworth Union Church, and it is my honor and my privilege to stand in this pulpit where for so many years, Dr. Bowen glorified God through his preaching and teaching. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This summer, Bill, Katie, and I are preaching a sermon series called Two Minority Reports from the Hebrew Bible about the books of Jonah and Ruth. In the last two weeks, Bill has introduced you to Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, in the very first chapter, these two female characters lose everything in a patriarchal society when both of their husbands die. Ruth eloquently pledges her loyalty to Naomi, even though it would have been customary for her to return to her own parents. Ruth is a Moabite, a foreigner, an outsider who returns to Naomi's hometown of Bethlehem. Today, we are exploring chapter two, in which Ruth tells Naomi she is going out to glean for food in the fields, and by chance, she ends up on Boaz's land. Seeing her follow along behind the reapers, Boaz asks his foreman who this young woman is, and they tell him that she has been working without rest all day. So he calls her over and says this, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Keep your eyes on the field being reaped and follow behind them. I've ordered the young men not to bother you. If you get thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from the water the men have drawn. Then Ruth fell, prostrate, with her face to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me when I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law Naomi has been told to me. How you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. May the Lord reward you for your deeds and may you have full reward from God, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come for protection. Thanks be to God for God's holy world. Some of you may be wondering if a text that is more short story than history, written maybe 2,500 years ago, is still relevant to us today. My answer is yes for two reasons. First, through Ruth, we see how an outsider can be an agent of God's love and mercy, a true friend. Second, Ruth tells the story of how just such unlikely people might be grafted onto Jesus's family tree. Perhaps you heard the story this week of Gelgi Sherpa, who rescued a Malaysian climber who was alone, shivering and without oxygen in the death zone of Everest. Gelgi convinced his Chinese client to abandon their summit attempt, strapped the freezing man onto his back with a sleeping mat, and carried him six hours down toward Camp 3. Rescues in the death zone are nearly unheard of. 
Gelgi has been a part of 55 other lower altitude rescues. He survived the 2014 avalanche in the Kumbu Icefall and the 2015 earthquake that rocked Nepal. He said this was the hardest rescue he's ever undertaken. People attempt to summit Everest knowing that it is every climber for themselves in the death zone. So why did Gelgi stop to help when even the man's own team had left him? Gelgi said he's a devout Buddhist, and saving one life is more important than praying at the monastery. I've heard it costs somewhere around fifty dollars to $200,000 to summit Everest. Ruth and Naomi, on the other hand, aren't trying to cross some epic adventure off of their bucket list. They are hungry and alone in Bethlehem, victims of circumstances beyond their control. Naomi is so empty, she says, call me Mara which means bitterness. Ruth has a choice to abandon Naomi and save herself, but she chooses to stay, and in so doing, exemplifies the Hebrew word hesed, a concept that doesn't really have a clear English equivalent. It's steadfast love, undeserved kindness. It is action-oriented. Most importantly, hesed is a fundamental quality of God. Ruth demonstrates who God is and who we are to be like. Scholars say that in the Torah, the welfare of the foreigner is inseparable from the idea of loving the other as one's very self. In the Bible, it contains multiple stories of foreigners who become of examples of what it means to be faithful. You might be very familiar with the Good Samaritan. In the Gospel of Luke, a man asked Jesus what he needs to do to receive abundant and everlasting life. The man already knows the answer. We already know. We heard them in the call to worship. Love God and love neighbor. Maybe looking for some clarity or a loophole, the man asked Jesus a second question. Who is my neighbor? And so Jesus tells him the parable of the foreigner, the Samaritan, who stops to help a man robbed and left for dead by the side of the road. The priest and the Levite have already passed him by. Who is the friend in the book of Ruth? Now, Bill may argue that it's Boaz in an upcoming sermon, but from today's text in chapter 2, I'm sticking with Ruth. She goes out early in the morning to gather food from the ground for her and Naomi, a field is a very dangerous place for a woman alone. And through this backbreaking labor of love, she gathers something like 30 pounds of barley. Now, to be fair, Boaz does show her kindness. He feeds her and promises her she can drink from the water that's already drawn. And he tells her to stay in his fields where he orders the, the men not to harass her. Because the needs of the immigrant and the poor are built into ancient biblical prescriptions for harvesting. Boaz follows these laws, allowing those in need to glean what is left after the first pass through the field. But for Ruth, he goes beyond what is required. He loosens the ancient welfare-to-work requirement by allowing her to glean among the standing sheaves. This is certainly a kindness, but is it yet friendship? Maybe in chapters 3? And four, we'll learn a bit more. But today we have Ruth's voice asking Boaz directly why she, a foreigner, has found favor with him. And his answer is that he's already heard all that she has done for Naomi, how she came to a people she did not know before. In other words, it is Ruth's decision to care for Naomi. 
It is Hesed. It is Ruth's love in action that catches Boaz's attention and inspires his generosity. Tom Hanks, often called America's dad, plays his grumpiest role yet in A Man Called Otto. Like Naomi, Otto is bitter. He is grief-stricken. He has lost everything, his wife and his job. What purpose he finds comes from patrolling his little street for parking violations, keeping an eye on the encroaching developers, and loudly resorting the communal recycling bin. It takes a friend to bring Otto out of the depths of despair and depression, and it is his new neighbor his new immigrant neighbor, Marisol, who refuses to pass by his door. She's constantly delivering food, asking for tools, insisting that he help her learn how to drive. When Otto goes to shut the door, she sticks her foot in it. She is the first on a short list of unlikely friends for Otto. There's also Malcolm, the young trans man who, after being cast out of his house, seeks Otto out, looking for the kindness he knew from his former teacher, who is Otto's late wife. And then there's the quirky Richard Simmons wannabe aerobicizing his way down the sidewalk. So it's the immigrant, the one who is cast out, and the oddball who draw Otto back into relationship, back from the precipice of grief, and even manage to get Otto to stop harassing the UPS driver. According to a recent study, far too many of us are just as lonely as Otto. In fact, 25% of us report having zero friends. And th only 37% of Americans can name three friends with whom they want to talk about important things with. Even surrounded by people, we can feel alone. In the 1950s, a sociologist put a name for this phenomenon. His name is David Reisman, and he calls it the lonely crowd. And it describes collectives of people who live according to common traditions and values, but who barely know or even like each other. There is an epidemic of loneliness in our world. We need more Ruths. We need friends who stick by us when we are at our worst. Yes, it is true that Jesus is such a friend. The hymn says, what a friend we have in Jesus. But it is our human friends whom we can see and touch who are often the most tangible evidence of God's love and care in our lives. Faithful friends come with a meal when we lose a loved one and coffee when we feel overwhelmed. Faithful friends hold our hands in waiting rooms. They will fetch our kids from school when we need a moment to collect ourselves. They listen to us talk about the mess that drinking or betrayals or overwork have made of our lives. And they're there for the celebrations too, weddings, babies, acceptance letters. Our besties get our quirky humor and are up for spontaneous adventure. And the best part, friends show up even though they don't have to. They're not legally bound to us. They're not related to us. Love in action is what holds us together. A true friend can show us what God's abiding love and faithfulness and loyalty are like. And that is why Boaz notices Ruth's friendship with Naomi, and so does God. It's how a Moabite ends up on the list of ancestors in Jesus' family tree in the Gospel according to Matthew. 
And this is great news for us because it means that God's abiding love and faithfulness are for all, even the unexpected characters and especially those excluded by human customs. Ministers who come to Kenilworth Union quickly learn that nearly everyone who knew Dr. Bowen called him a true friend. And in the coming weeks, we will have time to share our stories about how he touched lives, captivated the attention of youth groups over Wednesday night dinners, helped us when our marriages were falling apart. He fed children's hearts and stomachs. He took trips to places that opened our minds and preached sermons that seemed to be written just for us. Today, we grieve deeply for Dr. Bowen, a true friend. Like Ruth, he modeled the faithful, loving companionship of God for generations in this congregation. Dr. Bowen also trained at the Center for Religion and Psychotherapy, and so he knew how to combat the epidemic of loneliness that persists in our lives and our communities. When one staff member went to him to apologize because they had not met a deadline because so many people had stopped by the office that day. Dr. Bowen made it clear that showing up and listening are absolutely the two top priorities on any to-do list. As he grew this church exponentially, he taught us members of this congregation to care for one another. I only met him one time, but all of you show me who he was like. From you, I know he was a true friend who taught us how to be friends with one another. You deliver the meals and the flowers. You visit the memory care units. You go through Stephen ministry training and you show up week after week willing to engage in meaningful conversations. Thanks to Dr. Bowen, friendship is deep in the DNA of this church. So let us, friends, continue to welcome the newcomers, continue to care for one another, serve those in need in the wider community, and ensure that this church never becomes a lonely crowd. Love in action. Dr. Bowen preached and taught is the key to a meaningful life, so I will end with a few of his words. Love is a hand steadier than one's own squeezing harder than a heartbeat. Love is as near to each one of us as someone who needs us, and there is always someone who needs us. This is why we are here, for the love that does not insist on its own way in life, that not only hopes and believes, but that bears and endures the sufferings and the needs of those with whom we share life's way. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.